Amen. Good morning. We're so very glad to see all of you here this morning. We're so very glad to see our members, our visitors, and uh, to have those who are joining us online to be with us this morning as well. We welcome you. Thank you so much for being here. We appreciate your presence, and we want you to know we uh, are always here for you. And anytime you, whether you live in this area or you're traveling, if, if there's any way we can ever serve you, we want you to know that the Bullard Church of Christ cares about you and is always here for you. We're continuing in our series in the book of Romans, and we're going to cover two chapters today. And of course, even with one chapter, you can't exhaust the chapter in one lesson. So we're going to highlight some things, but I encourage you to be studying along the way on your own, and uh, you, you will see some things that that we can't cover, and you may have some questions. There's a, there's a lot of meat in chapters 10 and 11. Th these are kind of some of the harder chapters. Uh, next week, we'll get into chapter 12, and it starts to kind of take a different turn. But uh, the book of Romans is a, is a heavy and important and powerful uh, book that Paul wrote to these Christians in Rome. And I hope you're enjoying and being blessed by the study as well. But he starts off in chapter 10 repeating his feelings that he's expressed earlier about his fellow Jewish people. Paul was Jewish, and although he preached to the Gentiles, he, he's expressing his feelings to the Jewish people who have not yet turned to Christ. They've rejected Christ. They, they didn't believe that he was the Savior, the Messiah, that he claimed to be, that Paul discovered him to be, and he's expressing these strong feelings of, of, of sadness and, and longing for them to accept Christ. <clears throat> and he writes in verses 1 through 4 of chapter 10, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness, they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own they did not submit to God's righteousness for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes so he just said a lot there but but he knows something about zeal doesn't he Paul knew what it was to have zeal for God. He himself had that same experience of zeal but lacking knowledge. And he said, you, you, my fellow Jews who, who, who love God, you're, you're zealous for him, but you're, you're missing it. You're lacking knowledge. In Galatians 1, 13 and 14, uh, Paul tells about his own story of coming, becoming a Christian. And he writes, for you have heard of my former life in Judaism. How I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. And look at what he says. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father. But then one day he met Jesus, didn't he? While he was on the road to persecute Christians, that's when he met Jesus Christ. And that changed his life. And he knew God like he had never known him before because he knew his son, the Savior. And now he knew what real zeal was. And what a great example Paul is to us and, and in saying what he just said because he shows us it's okay to be zealous, and we should be. We should have deep 
feelings for those who have not yet turned to Christ. That our zeal that we have, that we should have, uh, should, should cause our hearts to break when we have friends and family and see people who, who aren't Christians. And maybe some of them think that they are. But like the Jews, they're lacking knowledge and, and they don't yet understand what it means to be a New Testament Christian uh, it, it, today. And, and maybe they've never considered Jesus at all. But they're, our, our hearts for them should break and we should have zeal for telling others about Christ. See, zeal is great. And not enough Christians, I don't think, have zeal in their faith. But it must be controlled and guided by the Word of God, right? So we need to have zeal, but it needs to be according to knowledge. And our mission, here's our mission. It's what Paul was wanting to do, what he uh, suffered to do, and it is to introduce people to Jesus. That's what we're supposed to be about. Now in verse 4, it summarizes everything Paul has been saying to the, 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 the Jewish people at this time and help to get the Gentiles to understand as well. Look at verse 4. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Now that word end there has two meanings. It can mean uh, goal. So it's the end. It's the goal. When you reach the goal. And it also means termination. Like the end of it. That's the end. It's over. So he means really both things, that Christ is the goal of the law. He's what everything the Old Testament was pointing to. It was all pointing us to Jesus, bringing us to Jesus. And the law is also finished now that Jesus is here. He helps us understand when we look at Galatians in chapter 3, verses 23 through 25, and we've read this before. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. That's talking about Jesus. Verse 24, so then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. Remember in Romans chapter 7, verse 6, Paul wrote, But now we are released from the law, you see. Having died to that which held us captive, meaning when we put on Christ in baptism, we've died to uh, that, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. And that new way of the Spirit is what he wanted his fellow Jews who had rejected Jesus. He wanted them to understand that, that God has, has, has continued to unfold his plan of salvation. And it's no longer about being an ethnic Jew among the, you know, an Israelite. That now God's people are his spiritual Israel. Those who are, have put their faith in Christ. Who've been baptized into Christ. Who are in his church. That's... That's what it's about now. That's what he brought us to in Christ. Now we move on to the next few verses. Now in Romans 10, 5 through 11, 10 is a really big chunk. And we're just going to highlight a couple of things there. But one of the main things Paul is saying there is that there's not two ways to be saved. There's one way. You can't be saved by obeying the law or be saved by faith. It is by faith only now. You've, you've got to put your faith in Christ now, not in obeying the law. So look at this on our next slide in verses 6 through 13. 
<clears throat> now, it can be confusing, so uh, hear the reading and follow along, and then we'll, we'll comment about it. Paul writes, but the righteousness based on faith says, do not say into your, in your heart who will ascend into heaven. That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Verse 9. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. Verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So the whole context here is faith versus law. That's what he's been dealing with here recently, faith versus law. You don't have to follow the old Mosaic law. Now, the moral laws of Scripture, those maintain throughout the New Testament. But you don't have to follow the old Mosaic law anymore, the rituals, the ceremonies, the sacrifices. It's about faith in Christ and following His Word. Now, that's what he's talking about. So, when he's saying, you don't have to go up to heaven and bring Christ down or go down to the abyss and raise Christ from the dead. What's he saying? He's saying faith doesn't think you have to do superhuman works and deeds to earn righteousness and salvation. That's what he's saying. He says someone who believes that they can save themselves by works, they believe they have to do and can do superhuman things such as, and he gives kind of these extreme examples, go up to heaven and get Jesus and bring him down to earth for us or go down below and, and rise, raise him from the dead because Paul's like that's been done and you couldn't do that if you tried his point is is you can't save yourself faith says I can't save myself I need a savior that's what he's trying to communicate what he is communicating to us there so when Paul says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you'll be saved in verse 9 that kind of sounds like baptism is not necessary for salvation. If you just isolate it, it could sound like that, and that has certainly been used to teach that. But if that were true, then what would we do with chapter 6, where he so thoroughly covers baptism and so perfectly shows how it's all a part of the plan, God's unfolding plan, to bring us to him, to justify us in him, to, to give us righteousness. He, he does such a thorough job in chapter 6 to show how essential baptism is to salvation. He wouldn't come along later and act like it doesn't exist. Now remember, he's writing to people who are already Christians. They've already been through this and he's already covered that ground earlier in chapter 6. So he doesn't have to rehearse every detail every time he talks about salvation. Okay? But remember in context what's happening. What he's doing in context is continuing to compare following the law, works, salvation by works of law, 
and salvation by faith in Christ. That's what he's talking about. Is your faith in Christ, and are you calling him Lord, or is your faith in your works of the law, and essentially your Lord, because as long as you do a good job following the law, see, you earn salvation. Now, the problem is you never can earn it because you can't keep the law perfectly. And that's what he's trying so hard to help everybody understand. Now, in Galatians 3, we looked at a few verses there, but let's look at verses 26 through 27 in Galatians 3. Look at what he writes. For in Christ Jesus, you're all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So Paul isn't contradicting himself uh, in chapter 10, Romans chapter 10. He's still in the context of law versus faith, and he's showing the way you get, the way you respond in faith, the way uh, you access the salvation in Christ is through baptism. When you put him on, uh, baptized into Christ, you've put on Christ. So you see, belief that God raised Jesus from the dead is fundamental. You've got to decide, do I, I mean, think about that. Do you really believe that? That God raised Jesus from the dead. Do you believe that? I mean, just think about what that means. He was dead as dead can be. And God, through his power, the Bible says, raised him, brought him back to life. You see, that's fundamental to your faith if you're going to claim Christianity, that you believe that actually happened. Not that it's a sweet story and not that it's something we kind of say, say, say without really thinking deeply about it and agree to once a year on this day, but that it literally happened and it happened for our salvation. You see, in verse 13, Paul wrote, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He's quoting from the Old Testament there. Belief in Jesus and calling on the name of the Lord inherently means you take this seriously. There's some action behind this, that this means something deep to you. So, so, so just, just uh, saying it, uh, this mental agreement, just saying it without thinking about it, isn't what Paul's talking about. He's saying when you believe that God raised him from the dead, and when you call on his name and call him Lord, that means something deep. That's the way it's supposed to work. In, in Acts chapter 22, verse 16 uh, Paul's recounting his conversion story, and he quotes Ananias. And Ananias said to Paul, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins. What? Calling on his name. Why? Because he's Lord and Savior. And then in Luke 6, 46, Jesus asked, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? He puts it pretty plain, doesn't he? So let's, let's move on to Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So Paul just told us, where does faith come from? It comes from hearing. Well, hearing what? Hearing that persuasive argument? Hearing that, that, that cool story? Hearing that illustration? Hearing that, that person's experience? That's not where faith comes from. Faith comes from hearing the words of Christ. 
So if you, you get faith when you hear the gospel of Jesus, when you hear the message of Jesus, when you hear his teachings, and it's when you hear about Jesus, then you can put your faith in Jesus. That's how faith works. And that's how faith grows, by hearing over and over again the word of Jesus, the words of God, his teachings, and everything he was about. So like the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8, do you remember that story? In Acts chapter 8, when, when the Ethiopian man was traveling in his chariot and he was reading Scripture, it was Old Testament Scripture, and God sent Philip to go see him, to go talk with him. And, and Philip asked him, do you understand what you're reading? And the man said, how can I unless somebody help me understand? And so the Bible says that he started right there in that passage he was, he was reading and taught him about Jesus. Well, how could he do that? He was reading Isaiah 53. You know what Isaiah 53 is about? Jesus. And so he starts right there and he shows him who Jesus is. Isaiah didn't write the name Jesus, but it was talking about the coming Savior. And Philip showed him, the one you're reading about is Jesus. Let me tell you about him. And all of a sudden, the Ethiopian man said, stop the chariot. I see water. And he said, I want to get baptized. And they go down and they get baptized. Something that Philip said, he, we understood that he talked to him about, if you put your faith in this Christ you're reading about in Isaiah 53, here's how you respond. Here's how a responsive faith faith looks like and he was baptized that day now let's in 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 chapter 10 of romans verses 18 through 21 paul's using some old testament scripture to show to show the jews to show the israelites who had rejected jesus how rebellious they were being and how much they had missed by rejecting jesus and first he asks a, a question and answers it himself have they not heard and he says indeed they have the Old Testament said that they had heard about Jesus and that they would reject him. They had read the prophets about Jesus, the Savior. But look at verses 19 through 21. Here's, here's what God told them in the Old Testament. I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. This is from the Old Testament. Paul's trying to show them what you claim to believe shows you. I mean, look in the mirror. Shows you that you missed it and you rebelled against God by not accepting Christ. I have been found, uh, God says in the Old Testament, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. And God said of Israel, all day long I've held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. So Paul shows us this pattern here. And, and it's what the Old Testament said was going to happen. And Paul's saying, it's happening now. I'm pleading with you, consider Jesus. The Jews rejected Jesus and therefore were not uh, uh, justified by God. Then God used that because it was a part of his plan in unfolding the gospel, unfolding salvation for all people. Remember, he made a covenant with Abraham. I will make you a father of what? Many nations. Way back there. That's what God was doing. He's unfolding his salvation. And so then the Gentiles accepted Jesus and were justified by God. The hope was... And that's what God was telling him, what Paul was saying. The hope was that it would stir up this jealousy, this anger, this, this, 
this, this trouble within the Jews who had rejected Jesus when they saw the Gentiles coming into now the church and they would realize it's not about ethnic Israel anymore. It's about the Lord's church. And they would then reconsider Christ and turn to Christ as their Savior. That's what, that's what Paul's explaining there. Now, let's move to Romans 11 as we uh, begin to wrap it up. In Romans 11, Paul turns his attention to the Gentiles. And he uses this illustration of grafting uh, a, a, a wild branch into a root, okay? And he's, using, he's saying to the Gentiles, y'all were grafted in, and that was part of God's plan. That's what he just got done explaining. And in verse 12, look at what he says in Romans eleven twelve. Now, if their trespass, talking about the Jews, mean riches for the world, that means all people, the Gentiles, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? In other words, if it's great that now the Gentiles, in other words, non-Jewish people, that means us, if it's great that everyone else is now coming to God through faith in Christ, how much greater would it be if those Jews who rejected Jesus Turn to Jesus. Do you see what Paul's saying? He said, can you imagine how great that would be if everyone would accept Christ? And that's what God wants. He wants all people to come to uh, the knowledge of the truth and be saved. Now, verses 25 through 26, at the end, the last part of the chapter, Romans 11, the, the mystery that Paul's talking about there is exactly what he just said. That not only... Do the Gentiles get to come into uh, a saving relationship with God? But then the Jews who rejected Jesus in turn come back to turn to Jesus and become Christians. And that's what God wanted his church to look like. All people, because the gospel was always for all people. He told Abraham, I'd make you a father of many nations. That's what it was about. And so then he says in uh, uh, later on for for from him and through him and to him are all things, to him be the glory forever. Amen. What is Paul doing? He just showed us this mystery, which is, is not like a magician's magic trick, but this unfolding revelation. That's what that mystery is. And he's saying, look how great it is, God's desire in his heart for all people to know Christ and be saved and ultimately be in heaven with him. Look at how wonderful this is. And then he just praises God for salvation, for all that he's done for us through Christ. And he says, to him be the glory and praise. And he praises him for his mercy and his love and his grace and, his, and, and all of his forgiveness and all of the things that he's done for us. He just breaks out into praise after expressing all that God has done for us. We serve a mighty God, don't we? A loving God. A God that went to the extreme, most extreme measure to save us because he loves us. And I want you to understand something this morning, that this is all about what God did for us in Christ. And that points us to the resurrection of Jesus. Now, many call this Easter or Resurrection Sunday. I like the sound of that. I like the meaning of that better. 
And I don't have a problem with some, some uh, maybe uh, denominational or worldly title or, or holiday that helps put some focus on Jesus if it's done, if that's the case, if that's what's done. But, but, but Christians don't need a holiday on a calendar to tell them to remember what Jesus did for them, do they? See, Christ, we worship Jesus. We, we praise him. We remember him, what he did for us every time we come together and study and sing and fellowship. And we should do that every day in our lives because every day we ought to be thanking God for, uh, for all that he did for us. And we ought to be living to serve God and in his word and in prayer with him. So we don't need a holiday to remind us because we're mindful every day about what Jesus did for us. But if the resurrection hadn't happened, folks, the death on the cross wouldn't have meant anything. Do you see that? That's how important the resurrection is. And Paul talked about that belief in him who raised him from the dead. So you got to believe that Jesus raised him from the dead. Why? For your salvation. And you say, that's impossible for God to do that. I can't believe believe he would do that for me. He did. Because that's how much he loves you. And that's how much he wants you to be in a right relationship with him. That's how much he wants to wash away your sins. And that's why he sacrificed his son on the cross for you. And that's our message. And if we can help you this morning, I want to ask you, is there a way we can help you? Is there a way this church can serve you to pray for you? Have you really made Jesus your Savior? Have you really put your trust in Jesus as your Savior? For Him to do the saving work, not you. And you respond in faith to Him through baptism. I want you to know if there's any way we can serve you, if you're ready to do that now, or if maybe you have questions and you want to start studying with somebody, maybe we can pray for you. Whatever your need is, we want you to know this church is here for you. We welcome you to come forward now as we stand and sing.